0: and look and kind of take a fresh look at it Um, you know in times past you know and I'll I'll do just a little bit of review for we step in where we're going today but um, trusting God is a very powerful part of your relationship with God and um, it's something that you learn how to do from a place of relationship you know how many know that you don't just or you shouldn't just trust somebody automatically you should learn how to know them and have a relationship with them. And really, faith is just about learning who God is. And when you find out that He's trustworthy, when you find out that He loves you and He cares for you, and that He's faithful to you, then there's a trust that arises in your heart. And <clears throat> it's that trust that's going to help you to overcome in life. Because everybody here, we all have challenges. We all have situations and circumstances. You know, how many know this world is not an easy world, if we're honest with ourselves? This is a challenging world, and, um, you know, the the things that you face in this world, the challenges that you face, ultimately, all of those things are going to bow their knee to Jesus, and in the next world, we're not going to have sickness, we're not going to have disease, we're not going to have death, we're not going to have poverty, we're not going to have lack, we're not going to have depression. Uh, We're not going to have abuse of any any way. When the kingdom of God is established and uh, we we have a king rather than a government official or a politician, um, things are going to run better. I mean, a man does not govern himself well, right? I mean, we do the best we can. I think we have the best country in the world, but at the end of the day, we need a king, and we need a king who died for us and who serves us with his life. And so that's the direction that we're moving. But while you're down here, you're going to have challenges and you're going to have things that, are, that you need God's help in overcoming. And that's where faith comes in. And one thing that's really important to understand about faith is faith does not move God. If you think that faith moves God, then your relationship with God is going to be very uh, performance-oriented and you're going to probably end up mad at Him. Because if you think faith moves God and you're believing one of God's promises and you don't see that come to pass, then what you're going to think is that God was mean and he was a taskmaster and you just didn't have enough faith to please him to get him to move on your behalf. Uh, can, we, can we turn the, the fans off if you don't care? I'm actually cold for a little bit for the first time in my life, right? It's a rare moment. Thank you so much. Um, but if you're left in that situation... And, you know, you've got a, a challenging circumstance and you just feel like faith is what moves God. Then, once again, you're, you're always going to try to have enough faith in order to, to please God, to get God to move on your behalf. Um, that's not the right way to have a relationship with God. That's wrong. Um, and and uh, I lived that way for a long time. I, I lived under that type of teaching <clears throat> for about 14 years of my life. And uh, it left me... Hating faith, very frustrated, and really, in the back of my mind, disgruntled towards God. I was thankful that he saved me. You know, I used to be a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, lying, cheating, awful human being. And he, did, and he saved me out of all of that. But then, you know, when I started walking with him and seeing that there were promises, and when I didn't see those promises come to pass, it made me feel like I wasn't good enough to get God to move on my behalf and so, like, I, I, I trusted him kind of maybe in the forefront of my mind, but in the back of my mind, I didn't really trust him, because there were times when I would pray, I wouldn't see things happen, there were times when uh, bad things would happen, and, and it would be like, man, what's up, God? You know, I must not be good enough for you. And so, that type of mindset will always lead you down a path of performance and legalism, and that is, that's an unhealthy and twisted relationship. You know, if I'm sitting at the table with my kids and, you know, one of my, you know, one of my kids says, hey, Dad, can you, can you pass me the mashed potatoes? And I'm like, well, do you believe that I'm going to pass you the mashed potato? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. Will you pass me the mashed potatoes? And I just sit there. And I'm like, well, I don't think you're believing hard enough for me to pass you the mashed potatoes. So, sorry, no mashed potatoes for you, but mashed potatoes for your sister, mashed potatoes for your mom, none for you. I mean, you know, that's going to create a very twisted family environment. And, and what it will do is it will leave individuals feeling like they're not worthy, they're not good enough. And, um, and you always feel like you have to perform for God. And I just want to let everybody know here this morning, you don't have to perform for God. He loves you. And um, He loves you more than anybody's ever loved you before. And if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you are as right with God as, as God is with himself. Because God has given you the gift of his righteousness. And so, um, you know, he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. There's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. There's nobody in this room that has more of Jesus than anybody else. Just because I'm up here and I'm preaching and I'm a pastor does not mean I'm in greater right standing with God than someone who is not. Very important to understand that. Um, God loves you. God is for you. And God ultimately is a rescuer. He's a savior. He's not trying to count up your faith chips to see if you have enough in order to please him so that he'll pass you the mashed potatoes. That's a wrong mindset. Um, But what faith does do is it plugs into an already present supply. And I think the greatest way that I can convey that is if I came into the church this morning and, um, and the lights weren't on and I called the electric company and I was like, look. I need y'all to turn the lights on. Come on. We need lights, man. We're we're trying to have church today. We need y'all to turn the lights on. What's wrong with you guys? Now, I mean, they probably hang up on me and think I was crazy. Because their job is not to turn the lights on. Their job is to supply the power. I turn the lights on. You follow me? And so what you have to understand is that every promise that's been given to you in the scriptures is yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus is the one that qualifies you. There's not anybody in this room that's more qualified than anybody else because your works don't qualify you. Your deeds don't qualify you, good or bad. Jesus is the one that qualifies you. And that's why he's a hero. That's why he's a savior. That's why he's a rescuer, right? And so when I turn the lights on, I am simply tapping into what's already there. When we trust God and believe God, we're just turning the lights on that the cross already provided. You're not moving God. God's sitting down this morning on His throne. Jesus is sitting down as well. The reason Jesus is sitting down is because His work is finished. There's nothing else for Jesus to do. All your sin has been paid in full. Your, sin is, your, your past sin's been paid in full, your present sin's been paid in full, your future sin has been paid in full. If you are born again, then you are right with God, and your sins and lawless deeds he will remember no more. You are no longer under the law. God is not remembering your sin any longer. God is not imputing your sin to you any longer. All your sins been imputed to Jesus. How many of y'all think Jesus did a good job? He did a good job, right? And so, because he did a good job, sin will no longer be imputed to you. Now, that does not mean that, you're be, that you're, there are no repercussions for your decisions. How many know when you do dumb stuff, you get dumb results? How many know those dumb results don't come from God's judgment? Those dumb results come from us sowing to the flesh. Everybody, tracking me here. Jesus took away the punishment of sin. God will never punish you for sin as a believer. Now, if someone rejects Jesus Christ and they refuse to receive salvation, they will have to pick up the tab on their own sin at Judgment Day. But if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't have to be afraid of judgment. Because you died with Christ and you were raised with Christ, and now you are in Christ. So in order for God to judge you for your sin, he would have to rejudge Jesus for your sin. And God's not going to do that. Your sin has been paid in full. <clears> How <throat> I many you know Jesus did a good job on the cross, right? Yeah. Very important to understand this. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. But sin still kills people. Sin is still death. If you go out and get involved in sin, it may send you to heaven sooner than what God wanted you to be there. I'm not saying that sin isn't destructive, because it is. Jesus paid the penalty of the punishment for your sin. Jesus did not pay the penalty of the repercussions of our actions. If I, in the parking lot, when we leave this church, if I yell at my wife, (laughs) Jesus loved me, I'm forgiven, but there's going to be consequences. (laughs) There is, there is. I'm not absolved from consequences for my behavior. The Bible says God has not mocked whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. So you have to understand there are consequences for all of your behaviors. All your, all your horizontal relationships are supposed to be based in love, right? But as far as this vertical relationship between you and God is concerned, God is satisfied with the cross. Your sin has been paid in full. God's not mad at you. God's not upset at you. And listen to me, God's also not holding anything from you. Nothing. Now, the challenge is, is that sometimes we don't plug in properly. You ever had a time where you, you thought your phone was charging, but it wasn't? I mean, well, that's tough, isn't it? You, you get up and you're like, yeah, you know, you're like, you're just depending on your phone to just do its job. You know what I mean? You had one job you're supposed to charge, you know? And then you get up and realize you're going to be on 7% all day long. And now you know your whole day is different now, right? Well, what happened was there was probably nothing wrong with the electric company. There's probably nothing wrong with the, the, um, the um, outlet, thank you. But there, was, there wasn't a connection that was made. And so in First John 5, 4, it says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so faith makes the connection to help you overcome in this life. Everybody tracking me here? And sometimes you're overcoming, there's an immediate change, there's an immediate miracle, there's an immediate change of heart, there's an immediate healing, there's an immediate financial provision, there's immediate protection. Sometimes it's like this. But then sometimes you are trusting God in the middle of the storm. Sometimes... You're in the storm, and the storm is not changing. But here's the reality. Yes, please, turn that down. Dear God, I'm freezing up here. I'm trying, to be all, I'm trying to be cool about it, but I don't know. What's up? I'm cold. I don't know what's happening. Praise God. Somebody give me a jacket. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm reaping what I sow. I've been freezing people out for years, and, and it's, it's time. It's time is, the bill is due. Hallelujah. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, we're we shutting the doors now. Hallelujah. It's beautiful outside, man. I I like to enjoy the fall in Kentucky, but if I'm cold, y'all got to be freezing. If I'm cold, because I'm never cold. Anyway, what was I talking about? Anybody help me out here? Specifically? Your phone. My phone, that's right. (laughs) No, faith, yeah. Faith helps us to overcome, and there are times when the storm is not immediately changing, And there's a place of trust on the inside of you as you and God ride out the storm together. Yeah. And and, and see, there's no, every battle has an expiration date, but you don't always know when the expiration date is. And some battles are quick, you know. I got set free from drugs, you know, the first couple years that I was saved. Years, I said years, it wasn't immediate. The hard drugs came off pretty quick, but I still struggle with some other things. But I didn't get set free from pornography until years later. It took a while for me to get set free from that. But I'm free from that. Can I get an amen? And God set me free. Um, I got set free from depression pretty quick. But then there were other things that, you know, I didn't get set free from impatience until probably two years ago. (laughs) But I'm free from that now. And God has brought forth a, the, a fruit of patience in my life where I can actually enjoy my life when I'm always not wigged out trying to get everything done so fast. I can actually enjoy the now. And so everybody in here, God wants to, God's a loving Father and He wants to give you a good life on earth. And a part of Him giving you a good life on earth is Him walking with you in a place of relationship and leading you to a place to where you're overcoming. God doesn't want this world kicking your butt. That's not the plan of God. The Bible says that they which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life, shall rule in life, shall overcome. And it says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So you don't have to be strong. That's the cool thing about this. You don't have to be strong. You just have to trust in the one that is strong. And his strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Everybody tracking me here? But he wants to teach all of us how to trust him. And a lot of times, when we were learning faith, we were trying to do it through willpower. And we were trying to willpower our way. And willpower is still your strength. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. (coughs) I'm sorry. Romans chapter 10. Because I spent a lot of time trying to develop faith and trying to increase my faith and have bigger faith. And what I found out is I actually had no faith and because it, it was turned into something that was legalistic. And what we've been really taking a look at these past couple weeks is really faith comes from Jesus. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, He's the beginner, he's the ender, like he actually does it all. And a lot of times we're taught to get our attention and our focus off of Jesus and back onto ourselves. And when you are looking at yourself, your faith is going to be frustrated. Very similar to what Jerry was sharing during the uh, communion. It's not about whether we're worthy. It's about the fact that he made us worthy. Can I get an Amen. He's the one that did he, he does everything. And so the enemy knows that. And so he tries to get us focused back on ourselves. Sorry. <coughs> <laughs> I need to just turn it off. Okay. And so... The enemy's always trying to get us back into establishing our own sense of rightness before God through our behavior. And when we do that, there's no faith. Faith gets frustrated, faith gets destroyed, because the place where faith begins, yes, I need all that stuff. Give me all that. <laughs> we go back to trying to establish our own rightness with God and then faith is frustrated and we don't have faith so the enemy works overtime in trying to get your confidence off the success of the cross and get to looking at yourself and if he can do that then all of a sudden you'll go back to a place of trying to earn God's love, earn God's favor <clears throat> and then you think that your faith is actually moving God when your faith is not moving God, God has already moved. God is already for you. God always already wants the best for you. But if the enemy can get us over into this legalistic mindset, then we'll be left performing for God. And really, our relationship with God is going to be really messed up. Because we're never really going to trust that He loves us. We're never really going to trust that He's for us. And we're always going to be in this position of performance. And when you're in a position of performance... How no your attention, your focus is not on Jesus. Your attention and your focus is on you. <clears throat> Christianity is, it shouldn't be a place where we all gather together and focus on ourselves. It's not, I mean, it's like so backwards. It really shouldn't be that way. I didn't come here to talk about me. I didn't come here to talk about you. I didn't even come here to talk about this church. I came here to talk about Jesus. And as we lift up Jesus and we look at Jesus... Faith arises on the inside of us because we realize Jesus is a hero. He's a savior. He's a rescuer. You're not trying to qualify to be rescued. The way way you're rescued is, is we're weak and we fail and we're not strong enough. And he comes in and he saves us. And we just take the outstretched hand of his grace. That's all we do, right? And so in Romans chapter 10 and in verse 1, I'm going to read through this real quickly because we're talking about faith says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, in seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Most of the church world is still trying to establish their righteousness before God. Most Christians are, and every religion is. Every religion is based on some system of rule keeping in order to achieve enlightenment, in order to achieve, um, you know, balance, all these types of things, only Jesus is the one who does everything for us, dies for us, and then presents salvation to us as a gift that we receive by faith. And so, <clears throat> that, that, that concept of earning is everywhere except the narrow path Of faith and grace. And so he says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Jesus is the end of you being made right with God through your conduct. your conduct does not make you right with God. Your conduct does not keep you right with God. Now, your conduct will impact you. It'll impact those around you. But if it requires one ounce of human effort for you to be saved, then you are the Savior and not the Christ. What, I, what I'm sharing right now is very offensive. <clears throat> this is very offensive to the pride of man. Jesus is the stumbling stone, He's the stumbling block. The Pharisees and Sadducees couldn't handle what Jesus came to share, and they killed him. Because He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't be saved. You can't be good enough. <clears throat> you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. This is not about your church attendance, this is not about your giving. This is not about your good deeds. It actually, has nothing at all to do with you. Christ is the end of the law for right standing with God to everyone that believes. So you're made right by believing in Jesus, right? <clears throat> Correct? You stay right because you believed in Jesus. Very simple, but profound. Without understanding this, you will not have strong faith. Because the enemy will always bring you back into legalism. And we're going to look in the scriptures. When you're legalistically trying to earn something from God, faith is voided. And you're trying to cut a side covenant apart from the cross. And you're trying to bring God in debt to you through your behavior. Being good enough to get God to answer your prayers. Being good enough to get God... To listen to you or do things for you. You can only come to God in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to God in any other way. Now, I mean, that's the best news in the world, right? But at the same time, it's very offensive to someone who wants to earn their standing with God or think that they're better than other people. You ever get around Christians that think they're better than other people? They do not understand the gospel. If you get around a Christian who thinks they're better than other people because of their moralistic deeds or church attendance or giving or whatever, that person is still a babe in Christ. I don't care if they've been a pastor for 40 years. They're a babe. Because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And they are not submitting to the righteousness of God. And they are not obeying the obedience of faith. See, when you get around other Christians... It should never be a competitive atmosphere. That's one of the things I love about this church. There's no competition here. No one, no one tries to act like they're better than anybody else. There's no jockeying for position. Everybody's just themselves. And, um, and it's a breath of fresh air. How many of you it feels good to just be able to be yourself? Yeah. Like, I thank God. That's one of the things I'm really thankful for that we have. Uh, because in most cir- in a lot of circles in Christianity, it's very competitive. And it's, well, I do this and I do that. And everybody's talking about how awesome they are. And, 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 it, and it turns into this circus in these spiritual Olympics. And that's not edifying. It's actually carnal. And it's fleshly. And those people are abiding in unbelief. God love them. And they don't even realize it. But when you know that you're right with God by what Jesus did and not what you do, That's the birthing ground of all faith. Because listen to me. As long as the enemy can convince you that it's based on you to keep yourself right with God or to make God hear your prayers based upon your conduct, he will always find a way to condemn you. But he won't be condemning you in the third person. He'll be condemning you in the first person. You'll be condemning yourself. And you will be disqualifying yourself from something that's free because everybody in this room none of us are enough we all make mistakes if we're honest and, and what religious people do self-righteous people people who think they're better than other people they make mistakes too usually their closets are filled with skeletons for real but they hide behind a pointed finger They point out what's wrong in everybody else. And usually they're doing things far worse. They're hiding themselves from their own flesh. Because the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is condemnation and performance. You will never get free from the dominion of sin through your own willpower or trying to establish your own righteousness. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how long or short your hair is. Presence or absence of tattoos. What kind of clothes you wear, how much you're in church. There's nothing that man can produce that will set him free from the dominion of sin. Some of the worst, the grossest examples of immorality in the world is based in the halls of legalism. You want to get you want to, it's just hidden well because yeah. it's hidden behind a pointed finger. Mm-hmm. So, no one's any better than anybody else. No one's more right with God than anybody else. It is a gift. Now, when you can start to establish your relationship with God on the fact that you're right with God and the cross was a success, then when the storm hits, you can now trust God because it's not about your faithfulness. It's about His faithfulness. It's not about your strength. It's about His strength. You know, a good lifeguard doesn't... Say someone's drowning in a pool, they don't swim to the bottom of the pool and say, Hey, did you pay for your ticket today? I mean, that'd be a bad lifeguard. Yeah. Or swim to the bottom of the pool and hand them a book on how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, a good lifeguard just saves, right. yeah. they don't ask questions. They don't ask what, what price was paid. They just save. Well, that's how Jesus is. He just saves. He didn't ask the thief if he had tithed enough to get into heaven. He didn't ask him what type of good deeds he did. The thief sent... about the thief on the cross next to Jesus being crucified. I love his salvation. Because he didn't do anything but believe. And that's all God's called us to do. And so... What happens when you start to trust in Jesus as your righteousness, you remove the weak link out of your life. You. Because you didn't qualify yourself, and you also don't keep yourself qualified. I'm talking about yes and amen in your prayers. In Christ Jesus. When you understand that Jesus is your righteousness, you have a lot of confidence and a lot of boldness. We see it for a short period of time when people first get saved. When you see somebody come off the streets with no form of legalism in them, and they get saved, those people's faith is great. They have peace, they have joy. I mean, their prayers are being answered, because they have not been taught how to trust in anything other than Jesus. But God doesn't want us to just begin in grace. God wants us to grow in grace. And so he goes on and says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is a faith speaks in this way. This is your righteousness. You have a right standing with God that's based in faith. And this is what your righteousness and my righteousness says. Don't say in your heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does that mean? We don't have anything to do with what Jesus did. He did it all without our help. And to this day, he still doesn't need our help because how many other work is finished, right? What does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. We believe it and we speak it. We call upon the name of the Lord. That's how we get saved, right? (coughs) That's how we become right with God. That is the word of faith which we preach, that you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not heard, believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. What does it mean to obey the gospel? What does it mean? To believe. You are obeying the gospel when you believe that you're right with God. Through Jesus Christ. If you do not, if you think that your rightness with God is based upon you and your behavior, you're not obeying the gospel. You're in New Testament disobedience because you're not in the obedience of faith. Once again, I'm not saying your behavior isn't important. Your behavior is very important. How many of all God's called you to walk in love? Can I get an amen? He's called you to love Him. He's called us to love each other. That's really all God wants from us. All these commandments and all this stuff is just, hey, can y'all love each other? <laughs> can y'all just treat each other well? Can you, <clears throat> can you treat other people the way you want to be treated? That's the whole book right there. But the reality is, until you know that you're right with God by faith, you can't do that. You cannot walk in unconditional love in your own strength. It's got to be a grace that flows through you. And so, (coughs) but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. And so here comes the place where faith comes from. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from Jesus. I'm trying doing the best i can i got mints i got water <coughs> i feel great i don't feel bad i didn't have this thank you i didn't have this going on before i came i did no no gravy gravy doesn't gravy doesn't impact me like that i could snort some gravy up here right now and be just fine <laughs> I'm just being honest, like, I appreciate your concern, but no, no, gravy's, gravy makes me happy, and gravy's good, we will not blame gravy today, we'll blame something else, we ain't blaming bacon, we're not blaming gravy, we're not blaming sin in my life, you know what I'm saying, we're we're just gonna say the weather is changing and have a tickle in my throat, (laughs) anyway, appreciate your compassion over it, amen. So faith comes through hearing about what Jesus did and getting established in what Jesus did. That's where it comes. Some translations say by the word of God. It's not what the original language says. It's not the word of Theos. It's the word of Christos. Faith comes from Jesus. Faith comes from hearing about Jesus and what Jesus has done. It's just the truth. Now turn to Romans chapter 1. Because Jesus is your qualifier. Jesus is your yes and amen. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is the place where faith comes from. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law is beautiful. The law is powerful. The law is awesome. But you can't keep it, and I can't either. Nobody could. Only he could. He kept it, and then now... He places that standard of righteousness into us by simply believing in Him. And grace always empowers us to walk it out, to live it. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And um, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed. So like this morning, as I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus being your righteousness. We're revealing Jesus as your righteousness. That's why I'm not preaching me, I'm not preaching you, I'm preaching him. As you see that he's your righteousness, faith arises on the inside of you, and you have confidence that what you ask God is going to happen. Because Jesus becomes your qualifier. If I was preaching the law, I I would point at you. And I'll say, well, what have you done wrong this week? What have you done right this week? Well, if you've done more wrong, or excuse me, if you've done more right than you've done wrong, then God's going to answer your prayers this week. How many of you know that that type of message will never give you faith? Because you're only going to be looking at you. And faith doesn't come from you. And if I preach that message, you'll always compare yourself with other people. You'll always be self-focused. You'll either be full of pride or you'll be depressed. And you're going to be the primary focus of your life. And you can't reign like that. Grace doesn't reign like that. We're not, once again, we're not preaching you. We're not preaching me. We're preaching Jesus Christ. Well, let me read you that same passage out of the Amplified. It, it, it lays out the Greek a little more clearly. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, a righteousness which God gives is revealed, springing from faith and leading to faith, revealed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live, and shall live by faith. So, Jesus is the rock that all the faith comes from. Everything comes from Jesus. See, The enemy is afraid of you focusing on Jesus too much. He wants you to focus on yourself. Because when you focus on yourself, he can kick your butt. (laughs) He can trick you. He can bewitch you. He can get you full of pride or full of depression as you stare at you. Or he'll get you comparing yourself with somebody else. Or he'll get you looking at an individual and thinking that individual is awesome. Let me tell you something, there should be no hero worship in the body of Christ. No pastor is better than you. No international speaker is better than you. No worship leader is better than you. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are in a family, okay? There's no superstar children of God. And we have such a, a culture of hero worship in our world today that it's crept into the church. Thank you for this tea, honey. It's making it happen, man. It is. It's helping me out. It tastes awful, but it's helping me out. I don't know what it is. This, just like, just butt-flavored tea. I don't know, man. Hallelujah. Between this mint and whatever this is, y'all talk to me afterwards, pardon my breath, man, because I feel like I could wilt leaves right now, but... But that that tickles being knocked back, and I'm gonna rejoice in that. (laughs) Hallelujah. (coughs) I need a pumpkin wipe. Yeah. Let me show you what somebody sent me in the mail today at church. (coughs) Somebody sent me this in the mail. Mailed this to the church. These are dude wipes. Pumpkin spice edition. Anyone who knows me at all, I, I drink large quantities of pumpkin spice and dare anybody to question my masculinity as a result of that. And so someone online was funny. <laughs> and man, you open this thing. that's probably why I got tickle in my throat. <laughs> no, <just> like, <laughs> it's strong, man. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it smells like potpourri or something. I mean, it's like. Yeah, anyway, this is funny though. I mean, it's, good job, whoever you are, that was good. Somebody online did that. <laughs> Praise God. But then, let's turn to First Corinthians 10, please. And Jesus is your righteousness. Your righteousness is not an action. <clears throat> your righteousness is a person. Righteousness is where you live now. You've been set free from the dominion of sin. You've been set. You don't have a sin nature anymore. Uh, You've been given a righteous nature. How many know that in order for God to move into you, He had to make you clean? God can't live in something that's unclean, and you have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. and And what's really important for you to understand is you're you're a three part being: your spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is perfectly righteous. Your spirit is perfectly clean. That is where the Holy Spirit resides. Now, how many of you can still make mistakes with your hands and your feet and in your mind? How many of your mind can still make mistakes? Your thoughts can make mistakes, right? But your spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that work is finished. Now, there's going to come a time when your body gets redeemed. You're going to get a brand-new body. No more sickness, no more disease, no more aging. And you're going to get a new body There's going to come a time when your soul is redeemed. Right now, that part of you that's redeemed is the down payment, is the guarantee of the purchased possession, is what Scripture declares. And so you've been made perfectly righteous in your spirit. Now your actions will become righteous as you renew your mind to who you are. Because the end game, we want to walk and talk like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to represent Jesus in the earth, right? We want, we want our behavior to change, right? We want to walk in love. We want to have the fruit. We want all of those things. But I'm just telling you, you'll never have those things if you think that your actions are what are establishing your righteousness. Because once again, you'll be in New Testament disobedience and you'll be, you'll be rejecting Jesus as your Messiah and you'll be embracing yourself. Everybody tracking me here? <clears throat> and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... There's so many typologies. How many know that Jesus is in the Old Testament? But he's hidden. He's hidden. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every sacrifice, every lamb, everything is about Jesus, but he's hidden. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a revelation of a hidden, a time where Jesus is hidden. It's beautiful. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, moreover brethren, I did not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. How I many you know when the children of Israel <clears throat> came out of Egypt, they, they had no water, And they thought they were going to die of thirst. And God told Moses, go and strike the rock. And then the children can drink out of the rock. And what this passage is saying is that that rock was Jesus. That was an example of Jesus being hidden. So everything that you have need of is in Jesus. Jesus has everything. Jesus has all the faith, all the grace, all the supply of the Spirit. You don't ever want a revelation or a doctrine that's unattached to the person of Jesus. Because then it just becomes head knowledge or it can become some type of systematic form of pride and legalism. No, it's always about Jesus. How I many of all things are created by him and all things were created for him? <clears throat> Everything is about Jesus. And so, let's go to the place where the, the rock was struck. Uh, Exodus chapter 17... And here, the children of Israel are thirsty. <clears throat> and They have nothing to drink. They're in a bad spot. Now, how many know that the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, and then going into the promised land, is a typology of our salvation? I'm trying. <coughs> Anytime you read Egypt... In the scriptures, it represents the world. And so, when you get born again, you've come out of the world. You've come out of Egypt. Now, the wilderness is that period of time where you're trying to learn how to operate in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place of rest. The kingdom of God... Is how many know Canaan land was a place of rest. It was a promised land. How many know you don't have a geographical promised land today? You've heard me share that in times past. We're not going to storm the gates of Franklin County because that's where our promised land's at, right? How many know your promised land now is you operating in the kingdom of God in the earth? And what happens is a lot of people die before they get there. And they may not die physically, but how I many you know there are people who've died emotionally? There are people who've walked away from God. And here's the thing they don't walk away from God. <clears throat> they walk away from God because they think God's mad at them. And they think that they've fallen short and they think that they weren't good enough and they're somehow not right with God. How I many you know as we understand the gospel, we find out that's not true? That born again person. Sitting in the bar, operating in immorality, sitting in the drug house. How many know that born again person is still a child of God? How many know Jesus is still living inside of that individual? God doesn't leave them because they do something stupid. Just just like God doesn't leave any of us because we do something stupid. Now, how many know that life that the lifestyle of allowing sin to dominate you? How many know it can kill you? it can kill your marriage it can kill your finances it can kill the health of your body but God once he moves in <clears throat> he's united himself to you he's not in and out in and out in and out no 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 he, you've been born again of an incorruptible seed if my human seed is capable of maintaining the identity of my children as Johnson children how much more the incorruptible seed of the word of God able to keep us the sons and daughters of God when the prodigal son went to the pig pen, it didn't change his nature. He was still the father's son. And the same is true now. That has not changed. But there are so many people who think God's mad at them because they've been condemned or they've been brought under legalism or whatever. How I many you know all those people just need to hear the good news? They need to find out, no, you're still right with God. Oh, but I, there's no way. No, 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 he paid for all your sin. And boy, when they start to believe that and see that, how I many of you they just melt under the goodness of God as we have all melted under the goodness of God. The gospel does not allow someone to continue a lifestyle of sin. When the gospel is believed, you're overwhelmed and you live out of a place of gratitude and thanksgiving because you're so thankful for the price that Jesus paid for you because although this grace is inexhaustible, it's not cheap. It costs God everything. To give us this, right? And so here, you know, we come out of Egypt, wander around in the wilderness, trying to get over here into the kingdom of God, get over here into the promised land. The children of Israel are dying of thirst, and they don't know what to do. And so the Lord instructs Moses to strike the rock. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. It says, Behold, I stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, <clears throat> and water will come out of it that the people may drink. So how many of know he did that? He took his rod and he struck the rock. Now how many of know that's a typology of Jesus being struck on the cross? How many of you know Jesus was struck on the cross? Yeah. Right? His, 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 his side was pierced. Out of his side came water. Out of his side came blood. <clears throat> he was struck. And because he was struck... He paid the penalty for the sin of all mankind. And now, how many know that we can all be made righteous by faith in Jesus? He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. But how many know Moses was not supposed to strike the rock again? He struck it again and he killed the typology and and he was unable to get into the promised land. Let's look at it. Numbers chapter 20. And this is what happens... When when we try to strike the rock again, we're trying to establish our own righteousness. When we try to strike the rock again, when we're not submitting to Jesus as our righteousness, and we think that we have to do something. See, God did not need Moses to do anything. God just needed Moses to speak. How many know the righteousness which is of faith? Speaks. In order for you to drink out of this rock, this Christ, you got to speak. What do we speak, Jeremiah? You say what God has said about you. You need to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And every place where it talks about righteousness in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, you need to make that about you. You are the just man that Proverbs is talking about. You are the just woman. You are the righteous child of God. I mean, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Who's a righteous person? It's you. You have to take that into yourself. That's called submitting to righteousness. Yeah, Jeremiah, but you don't know what I did. Yeah, Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah, I don't give a crap what you did. And I'm not trying to, like, be rude or anything, but, like, what did he do? What did he do? What did I? See, when you exalt what, you did, what you've done above what he did, you're striking the rock. And you won't get into the promised land and you won't have faith because you're being disobedient like Moses was. See, Moses thought he had to do something else. God's like, I don't need you to do anything. The enemy's always trying to get you to do something. Don't perform for the devil. Don't perform for anybody. Nobody has a right to tell you whether you're right with God or not. Do you know that? No pastor, no preacher, no human being on earth. And how many know there are people everywhere trying to determine who's right with God and who's not by all this external stuff? There are people that would look at me and say, I'm not saved because of the length of my hair. There are people that would look at me and say, I'm not saved because of the clothes I have on. Do you really think the length of your hair gets you to heaven? Do you really think the presence or absence of blue jeans gets you to heaven? But people are taught that. And it's disrespectful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't realize it. God loves them. They're bewitched. They're under a spell. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. And the only person rejoicing is the enemy. God is concerned about your heart. Not the presence or absence of tattoos or piercings or what color your hair is. Who cares about all that stuff? Or what kind of clothes you have on. None of that stuff means anything. No, no. The cross was enough. Jesus was successful. But so many times, people strike the rock again. You don't have to re-crucify Jesus. He's crucified one time. He was success. There's nothing else that has to be done. The only, your only part is to agree with what God says about you. God needs you to start saying that you're righteous. He needs you to do it. Because until you start saying it, you'll never believe it. Yeah, Jeremiah, but I, but I, but I, but I, but I. Remember, it's not about us. <clears throat> and so I, I, I always say this. was the cross of success? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Every, every, I, always, always. But then when you, you switch it over into some different languages, that, well, that means that You're qualified to receive everything God has. You're qualified to receive healing, financial provision, protection, safety, your prayers being answered. Yeah, but I did this. Oh, wait a minute. Remember, the cross was a success. Jesus is the one that qualifies you. Now, listen, I'm not, once again, I have to, you have to say both things. I'm not saying your behavior isn't important. If you do dumb stuff, you're going to get dumb results. But it's not God's fault. It's your fault. Right? But when it comes to God, honor. How many Moses didn't honor the cross? And he, and he, he represents the law. He represents legalism. How many legalism can't take you into the promised land? That's why there were ten spies who had a bad report. I'm not against the law. I'm not against, but I am against the law for it making you right with God. Nobody here is going to get to heaven, knock on the door, and say, I deserve to be here. No one is going to ever earn anything from God, because God will not allow flesh to glory in His presence. He's not going to allow it. When you get to heaven, it's going to be, thank you, Jesus. And really, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Every single promise of God that manifests in your life should be, thank you, Jesus. It should never be, because I, because I, because I. It should always be about Him. And so in Numbers 20, let's take a look at it where, where the rock gets struck. Numbers 20 and verse 7, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brethren, gather together congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water. How many of the rock does not need to be struck again? Jesus does not need to be crucified again. Moses does not need to do anything. But he got mad. Thus you shall bring water from out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered toge- the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Now look, <clears throat> here's something you need to understand. Moses is ticked off. And I can't say I blame him. But anytime time there's legalism, there will always be anger. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. <clears throat> when you are under legalism, you're going to be mad at yourself because you're, you're going to feel like you don't measure up. But most of the time, you're going to be mad at everybody else. When you're walking around and you're mad at everybody else because they're not doing this and they should be doing that and they need to, they need to, they need to, they need to, they need to know <clears throat> that that pointed finger is going directly to you. And you are handling it by pointing it at everybody else. Grace always brings peace and rest and love. When I'm hypercritical of the people around me, when I'm hypercritical of my wife or my children, what's happening is is I'm back under legalism. And I am personally under condemnation. When you're under condemnation, you're not nice. When you're trying to establish your own righteousness, you can get mean. We all care. But when you are aware of the fact that Jesus forgave you and Jesus made you right with God and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and all the promises of him, and yes and amen, you're not mean, you're thankful. And your heart is filled with peace and you're filled with gratitude. And you are more merciful to those around you. But anytime you're trying to establish your own righteousness, you get very critical of everybody else. And so was Moses. Here now, you rebels. (laughs) Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock. Faith just got destroyed. The typology just got destroyed. And Moses never set foot in the promised land because he didn't do it by faith, he did it by works to this day, nobody's getting into the kingdom of God any other way but faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are in works, you will not have peace, you will not have joy, you will not be nice. You will not be loving and you will not be kind. You'll be the elder brother establishing your own righteousness and you'll either be full of condemnation towards yourself or the people around you, but you will have no promised land and you will walk around in the wilderness until you choose to believe the cross was a success and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you start to speak to the rock and not strike the rock. It's a narrow path. It's a narrow road. What I'm preaching here is very narrow. Few there be that find it. Not because it's hard, almost because it's too easy. Really, what we're preaching is not hard. God's not asking you to do anything. He's asking you to, to trust in Jesus and not yourself. And that is hard for man's pride. Man wants to trust in himself. Man wants credit. Man wants to be involved. And that's why, the cross, it's, why it's offensive. It's an offensive message. It makes people mad. They want something they can take credit for. But at the same time, it's it's, it's really good news, and it's really easy. Everything's been handed to you on a silver platter. You just rise up and eat. And so the rock, water came out abundantly, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. To hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. <clears throat> Don't strike the rock, right? Just yield. Say it with me. Say, I am. I am the, righteousness righteousness the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. All my sin, All my sin has, been from me. has been removed from me. I am forgiven. I am, forgiven. I am righteous. I am, righteous. I, am holy. I am holy. I honor the cross. I submit. I believe. believe. Jesus did a good job. job. Let's honor what he did. How many people are honoring what he did? They're taught not to honor what he did, and they're taught to focus on what they do. Let's act like he did a good job, let's act like it was success. And see, I love these moments, because right now, everybody sees it. I can tell that you see it. It's a mystery, but it's taken me an hour to get here. We're almost done. But like, you see it, but will you remember it when you leave? Will you remember it on Monday when you've made a mistake? Will you remember it on Tuesday when you yelled at the people around you? Will you remember that the cross was a success? Will you remember that you're a child of God? Will you remember that you are as right with God as Jesus Christ is? Because it's His righteousness that was given to you as a gift. You do not have a right standing with God apart from Jesus any longer. Will you remember? And, And really, we need to get it in here where it becomes a part of who you are which will take time and effort and you have to apply yourself to it and you have to be a disciple of it it's not going to happen just coming to church on Sunday morning That's just not now you're still going to heaven you're still saved you're still you know all those things are there but your ability to have faith and overcome in this life will be very limited if you think your righteousness is like this because you won't be able to trust God because you'll be too busy trusting you. But it's worth the time and energy it takes to get your heart established in this because when you're establishing the righteousness of faith, fear starts losing a stronghold on your life. Oppression starts losing a stronghold in your life. And then that promise, Isaiah 54, 17, becomes real in our lives. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Why? Because the enemy can't convince you that you deserve the weapon that's formed against you. Most of the sickness and illness and challenges that people face is condemnation. That people feel guilty and they think when something bad happens in their life, that they're paying for their sin, they're paying for what they did. That's self-righteous. Either Jesus paid it all or we pick up the tab. There's no in-betweens. No weapon for it against you can prosper. Any, any tongue of judgment that rises against you, you shall condemn it. Because their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Your right standing is the Lord's right standing. Right? All right, one more final place when we close. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. I just There's two more points I'd like to get out real quick, or probably just one, but... So, start saying it. Start declaring what God has said. Start saying that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. And in the beginning, you start saying it when, you, when you've made a mistake or when you mess up. And you hold fast to Jesus as your righteousness and you keep condemnation out. But there's a development in it when you need to also do it when you've done things right. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? See, when I first started doing this... And getting good at it, get, becoming skilled in righteousness. I would confess righteousness when I made a mistake. But then when I was doing everything right, I started trusting in myself. Ooh, look at me. I'm doing cool stuff. Well, if I start to embrace me as my righteousness, then I will frustrate grace and I'll fall. No, I need to have my confidence in Jesus as my righteousness when I do good and when I do bad. All the time. That's how, that's how grace reigns through an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Because as we move forward in this and learn a little bit more, grace flows through righteousness. And when your righteousness is off, it's about righteousness of faith, then it frustrates grace and grace can't flow and grace is actually God's ability. We want God's ability. We don't want our ability. I want God's ability in everything. And you can't. And God's ability for everything is accessible to you. But you need to know that you're right with God based on Jesus and not yourself in order for that to function in your life. And that's far ahead. But <clears throat> last thing here, Romans chapter four, verse, verse thirteen. It says, For the promise, come on Abraham. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, through performance, through conduct. But through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, listen, it's really important faith is <clears throat> made void in the promise of no effect. How many know the enemy wants the promises of God to be made of no effect in your life? Because when your prayers are answered, And you manifest promises in this world, it's damaging to him. So, he needs the promises. He needs your prayers to stay unanswered. Because if your prayers stay unanswered, then you become disgruntled. You become upset at God. And other people can't look at your life and glorify what God has done in your life. See, the world needs to see something. They need to see fruit. Fruit is what manifests from the invisible world to the natural world. Fruit is what actually glorifies God. God is glorified when your prayers are answered. God is glorified when you look like Jesus. People don't care what you believe. Let's see what you do. Facts. <clears throat> your witness don't mean squat if, if your behavior is not affected. You know, my children are not going to follow my words. They're going to follow my actions. You can't lead without actions. So, this, so then this cycles back over into what we do. All right. Now, as far as God's concerned, God is pleased with what his son did. Right. But <clears throat> when we start looking into our ability to witness, into our ability to show people the goodness of God, how I many of want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living? I got the goodness of God guaranteed when I die, but I need it, I need it right now while I got an enemy, yes. right? And so the enemy wants to bring in doctrines, doctrines of devils that are going to void out your faith so that your prayers aren't answered. <clears throat> How is he going to do it? Well, the way he's going to do it is he's going to try to get you to establish your right to receive from God based on your behavior. <clears throat> Let's read it again. For if those who are of the law, how do we say of the law? We're talking about your behavior, your conduct. For if those who are of the law are heirs, those who've earned it, those have been good enough, if they are heirs... Faith is made void and the promise of no effect. <clears throat> Everything that comes from God to you is not a wage that you earn. Everything that comes from God to you is a promise. <clears throat> you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You receive it. I many know if you try to earn a promise you mess it up. If you try to earn a gift, you mess it up. How I many know a gift can't be earned? And so the enemy is always trying to get you to earn your right to receive from God by looking at what you've done, good or bad. If he can get you to do that, then you will have no faith. Your faith becomes voided. Because it's not about God's goodness, it's about your goodness everybody tracking me on this? I just, I want us to get this in these closing moments. And, and, and the example I always give is, you know, if Christmas rolls around, my five-year-old Eli comes up to me and says, Dad, this year, I'm going to earn every single gift under that tree. Every gift under that tree, I'm going to be so good, you're going to owe it to me. I'm going to earn it. How many you know that as Christmas rolls around, and he comes up, and let's say he was so good, and he's demanding what he earned. How I many you know we've just lost all relationship? And this is a business transaction. And this gift is no longer a gift. It's a payment for his own good works. Everybody tracking that? He's robbed of the joy of receiving from a loving father. I'm robbed of the joy of giving to him because I love him. It's no longer a grace relationship. It's become a transaction. And the reality is, when we do that in the kingdom, we don't get anything. Because God owes you nothing. Ever. God will never owe you anything. Ever. God will never owe me anything. You must never think God owes you something. Because if you think God owes you something, you're going to be real disappointed. Because he going to give you nothing. Because he gave you everything through Jesus. Everything that comes from God is for free. It can't be earned. It can't be deserved. It must be received as a gift. God doesn't owe you anything, but he'll give you everything. Everybody tracking me here? But we just can't go into over trying to establish our own right to receive. Because if we do that, we're going to frustrate grace. We're going to have no faith. God won't be your father. He'll be your employer. And you'll be disgruntled, and you will not enjoy him, and he will not enjoy you. But how many know this is what the enemy works overtime to teach the church? How to earn it? Well, six reasons why you're not receiving. Eight reasons why your marriage is on the rocks. Ten reasons why your kids ain't serving God. Blah, 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 blah. Self-help, 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 self-help. This is not self-help class. This is where we gather around the rescuer. We gather around the hero, and he rescues you and blesses you and hooks you up because he loves you. And at the end of the day, we don't glorify anybody but him because he did it all anyway. Everybody's seeing it? See, we see it for a minute. I love these moments, but it takes a while to get here. And that, like, oh, we see it. The reason we see it is the Spirit of God's teaching it. Because the Spirit of God is the only one that can reveal it. It's a mystery. But it's not, it's not what we earn. And, 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 and just, I'm trying to shut up, but Abraham did not do everything right. That's right. Abraham was an idiot. Right. I mean, I hate to call him out like that. But like, he pimped out his wife twice. Can we just be honest? For a moment. And he lied. I mean, he was a fool. But yet God blessed him, and 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 blessed him. And And then towards the end of his life, he had great faith. Why? Because God blessed him when he didn't deserve it or earn it. And he said, you know what? This God is so good... That I'm willing to believe anything he says is going to come to pass. And see, that is the exact same type of relationship God wants with you. Yes. How many know Abraham was right with God by faith? Yes. And so Abraham had this relationship. There was no legalism in Abraham's relationship. Abraham is talking God, Abraham is bartering with God. Yeah. He's got a boldness that we don't know anything about. He was a friend of God. Yeah. God, how many know that same relationship God wants us to have? Amen. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop, but let's get it, man. Let's get this down into us. It, it'll change everything because I don't want to just come out of Egypt. I don't want to just get saved. I want to live in the promised land. Yes. The promised land is a place of rest. Trust and faith always brings you to a place of rest. And it always comes back to was the cross a success or not on your behalf. And the reality is everybody here, you're forgiven. Yes. And God loves you and he's not mad at you. And he's not holding any of your sin against you. In fact, he said that your sins and lawless deeds he'd remember no more. That's amazing, isn't it? If you believe that, you'll have a great day today. <laughs> you'll have a great day. You'll have peace and love and joy and kindness just flowing out of you because you know you're a child of God. Amen? All right, I'm going to shut up. Lord, I just thank you for these people. Everybody here, everybody watching online, I thank you you help us to understand this. To embrace this, and to submit ourselves to the success of the cross, and walk as your children, Spirit of God, I thank you. Help us to do it. Help us to develop a taste for it, to hunger and thirst after righteousness and be filled. And I thank you, Lord, that that righteousness is, runs a course through our lives. Lord, we've been made right in our spirits, and I thank you as we believe truth, then we start to our minds get right, and then I thank you, our behavior and our action gets right, and we glorify God in the earth because people see Jesus in us. Lord, we thank you for this highway of holiness that you've created for us, Father. I thank you for it. And Lord, I just lift up everybody here and speak a blessing over them. I think they have a great week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. i say one other thing. Um, I'm going to the minister's conference in um, Colorado. I fly out today. Uh, Grant will be there as well. So we're going to be at Andrew Womack's minister's conference. Pray for us. Pray that we would uh, receive from God. I'm not going to be giving out at all. I'm just going to be receiving. And so if you, if you think about us through the week, just pray for us and lift us up. I'm looking to just really get built up and get strengthened and all those cool kind of things. And so uh, just appreciate your prayers. And, and, um, and, yeah, that's it, man. So, yeah, thank you for praying for us. But anyway, go in the peace and joy of the Lord. Got a, got a great week ahead. So, amen. Praise God.